Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. If you have your Bibles, please take them and go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. Our ushers will make their way through and give you the handout for you to take a couple notes this morning. We do not have a fill-in-the-blank message. I'm going to preach just a little different kind of message this morning, Uh, and I uh, trust that you'll just write down a couple of thoughts that I'll share with you as a part of this morning's message. Um, I do have a, a helper up here this morning, so if you hear some strange noises, it's okay. And if you're watching by live stream and, and uh, the microphone will happen to pick up my, my guest that's with me up here, it's, it's, it's okay. So that's, it's going to be okay, all right? Um, but Second Peter chapter number one, it's great to have some folks visiting with us. Uh, Forrest Whitleach from South Carolina. He was in our previous ministry when we served there in Anderson, South Carolina. He headed up our children's ministry and did an amazing job there for us. And so I'm thankful that he's able to be here visiting. He's doing a job over in Phoenix and drove down this morning just so he could be with us. And Kevin Stevens, uh, he's with us, pastoring over in Texas Community Baptist Church. It's great to have him here and uh, in town to see his dad for a couple of days and great to have him. He'll be speaking Wednesday in our midweek services, so we'll look forward to that opportunity in both the day and in the uh, evening service on Wednesday. I'd like to preach a message this morning as we're all situated now, and what an amazing attendance we have. Pastor Howard, this is just spectacular to see so many folks that are here and every section of the auditorium, and uh, thank you for being here. And I trust that we will not waste a minute of your time, and I don't think we have to this point because the music has been very uplifting, very encouraging. We do serve a Lord that's risen. We can never get over the wonder of that. And I know that uh, Easter gives us an especially uh, targeted uh, point in time when we highlight that. But every day our, our Savior is risen. And uh, He is not dead. And he, we serve a risen Savior. This morning I'd like to preach a message simply entitled, Proof Required. Proof Required. There's so much in life that requires proof. You can't get a refund without proof of purchase. You can't get uh, a cash a check um, without proof of identity. You can't have a trial without some type of proof, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, birth certificates and driver's licenses and bus passes and claim checks and stickers and stamps and signatures and passports and uh, QR codes. It's all about one word, proof, proof of concept. Proof of identity. Um, Proof that you are who you say you are. There's only one thing in America that you don't have to have proof. That's the vote. Everything else in life, you have to have proof to identify who you are. 
Sometimes you can't even win a basketball game with a, uh, of horse without proof. Uh, growing up and, and watching our teenagers uh, uh, play basketball, uh, they were playing horse or pig, and they had to prove it rule. And that is, is that uh, if the opponent made the last shot, they had to prove it. And they had a choice. Either you had to shoot it or they had to shoot it again just to prove it. And then you get to go back a letter if they didn't make the shot a second time. Um, in life, there's just... In every area, we want to make sure that we prove who we are, prove that there's proof that there is a winner. Now, uh, I'm just going to say this as, as, a, uh, as a, a steward of, the, uh, of God's word, as someone that's a watchman. May I just say that it's reprehensible that today... Um, there, we're differentiating between men and women, and we're saying that whatever you, a gender you identify, you can now play women's sports. That's an affront. My three-year-old granddaughter can, can make a determination that that's a boy and that's a girl. And I, I can't believe that a Supreme Court justice nominee cannot define what a woman is. May I just tell you, God created men and God created women. The end of the story. And it's an affront that in our own country, considered the greatest country in all of the world, that in our own country today, that we have men who identify with a woman and they're taking over college sports and no one has a problem with it. Everyone's silent. The feminists who want their rights are silent over men swimming in, uh, in girls' sports. And uh, folks, I'm just saying that there's proof. God created men and God created women. And as long as we stand here as a church, we're going to identify as men and women. Men and women who need to hear about Jesus Christ. Men and women who need to live as a light and a testimony for Jesus Christ. But everything in the world calls uh, uh, for proof. And may I just say this morning, including our faith. Can you prove that your faith is real. Some people have the mistaken idea that their, their words prove their faith. Oh, if I just say a, a few words, then, I, then, then I, that proves that I'm a follower of Christ. Um, if, I, if I pray this, this prayer and then uh, it's magic, presto, uh, I'm in. I, I, if I just say these few magic words, may I just tell you this morning that if you want to be a true believer... Um, and it is not about a magic prayer. It is about a life transformation change. From my old life to a new life. But talk is cheap. And uh, obviously that is the case today. And it's cheaper than dirt. But may I just say, words cannot prove faith. Words cannot prove faith. All alone, uh, words are like a bogus ID. They may get you into some places, into some nightclub, or they may be able to help you a bogus ID, buy alcohol or cigarettes. But may I just tell you, your bogus words will not get you into heaven. It takes something much, much more genuine, something much more difficult to counterfeit. To prove that you're a Christian requires a couple of things from you. Now, next week in the morning service, we'll observe the Lord's Supper. I encourage you to be here. Whenever you observe the Lord's Supper, it is a sweet time. And we'll examine the whole message. The sermon message is going to be around the Lord's Supper. And we're going to break down what Paul taught us, that a man and a woman should examine themselves. And what does that mean so that we partake of the Lord's Supper? 
It's going to be a sweet service. I encourage you to be here. But Paul explicitly instructed each person as a part of the Lord's Supper to prove that they were in the faith. And so in just two weeks, we're going to observe Good Friday and have a Good Friday service. And then on Saturday, we're going to have a great big activity. And then on Sunday, we're going to observe what is called Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And that is, am I a true follower of Christ. Do I believe that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead? We're going to acknowledge that. In preparing for these next two weeks, today's message is vital. Look with me in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 8 through 12, and I'm going to ask you in a responsive format if you'll read the even verses, and uh, I'll read the odd verses, but we'll read verses 8 through 12, and I ask you to begin in verse number 8 of 2 Peter chapter number 1. Together, for if But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. For, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would be negligent in my duties as a pastor not to remind you and to keep you in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. And may we never get over the wonder of what has happened. Father, I ask that in the next few moments that you would just help the Holy Spirit, give him permission to speak to our hearts and lives, draw us closer to you, and may we get it. Would you just help us to understand that in preparing for Easter and the Lord's Supper, this is essential to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. This is such an interesting passage of Scripture that we just read. Peter is clearly addressing those who are saved and the evidences of proof of their relationship with Christ. Peter writes that if you don't know and, and love people, um, if, if there's no lack of proof or evidence of your salvation, then you're not saved. You're not in the faith. The winner of your soul has not been determined if you're going back and forth between living in this world and like the world versus trying to attend church and every once in a while do something right. I'm asking you, do you have proof of your citizenship in heaven this morning? Proof is required. Now that does not mean, even according to this passage of Scripture, that true believers will never sin, that true believers will never act hatefully, or there'll be some time when we cross the line and, and we did or said something that we shouldn't have done. But it does mean that fundam, the fundamental orientation in our lives has changed with salvation. That we'll, that we'll hate sin. And that we, even though sometimes we have that nature and we'll still sin, but we hate sin. And we strive for righteousness. This morning we're going to take a look at only two thoughts, only two standards to prove a legitimate faith. Both of these must be a part of your life. 
And I trust that this morning your testimony would be that both of these proofs are evident in my life. It's good to evaluate our relationship with God and to make our calling sure, as Peter has written uh, in our text this morning. And my prayer is that those who uh, definitely know that you'll be even more convinced about your relationship with Christ But if you're here this morning and you do not know, my prayer is that you'll have conviction uh, this morning and the Holy Spirit will make your heart uh, race and it'll it'll make your palms sweat and you'll say, listen, I must make things right with God. My outline is not driven by points or principles, but this morning, instead, I've decided to use some illustrations and some images. If you study the sermons of Jesus, often he used illustrations and images to make a spiritual point. And so that's my desire this morning. And so that's why you only have a half sheet of paper just to write down a couple of thoughts this morning. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 10 is a strong statement that should not be softened. The Bible says this, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. I say this morning uh, that this is a verse that should shake us to our core, that should cause us to stop, pause, and, and, and understand what John is writing to Christians. He simply says this, if you do not do righteousness, you are not of God. Here's proof number one this morning in my first thought. This must be a part of every single one of our lives if we are a Christian. Here's the, here is the thought. I strive to do what is right. I strive to do what is right. I'll say it again. I strive. I earnestly try to do what is right. Will I always be successful? Of course not. But I am driven. I want to do right. I want to think right. I want to say things that are right. Christians are not perfect, and I believe all of you understand this principle, but Christians absolutely have a growing tendency to live better and better lives. And as they grow in their faith, um, they're not a holier-than-thou life, uh, but they're just holier than they used to be. Are you holier? Are you closer to God today than you were one year ago? If not, there's a red light blinking in your life this morning. With each passing month and year, a real, genuine Christian will see progress in his or her lifestyle. They have to, otherwise they are not genuine. Consider what John wrote in 1 John. He said this, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Do any of us like being called a liar? Not a one of us. That's offensive to say you're a hypocrite, to say you're a liar, to say uh, uh, to be called a name. It, it, we find it as a rub. It's offensive. John said this. If you do not do right, you call him a liar. He goes on to say, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. In other words, we should be striving to walk and live like Jesus walked on this earth. He goes on to say, now little children, Christians, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of who? Remember, God did not create sin. God has no sin. Jesus Christ 
had no sin when he walked on this earth. The Holy Spirit of God that's here in this earth today has no sin. So sin has to be of someone and it's of the devil. And so when we commit sin, we are being influenced by the devil. For the devil, listen, sinneth. From the beginning, the devil, when he was cast out of heaven because he was lifted up with pride, the devil is a sinner. Verse 9 of this passage goes on to say, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. In other words, it's not our desire to commit sin. It is not something that we repeatedly do. We are not like we once were. Proof number one of a right relationship with God is that I strive to do right. What is something this past week that you, that you made an effort to do right? Was it in your Bible reading? Perhaps the music you were listening to? Perhaps you're struggling with language and you really tried uh, with the Holy Spirit's help to get victory over that. Maybe you have a drug issue and you're literally, you have a, you have a, a problem with prescription drugs and you say, God, I need victory over this. I'm trying to do what's right. Maybe there's some folks here that have an addiction to pornography and, and it's all-encompassing and it's destroying uh, your life and relationship with your spouse or, or other relationships. May I just tell you that if you, we, as Christians must strive, we must earnestly try to do what's right. And if we're not doing that, he says that we make God a liar. That should bother us. On the heels of that is the second thought this morning. I strive to do what is right. That's an evidence. That is a proof of salvation. Thought number two is this. I strive, I earnestly try, or I strive to love other people. I strive to love other people. Two proofs of salvation. I strive to do what's right. I strive to love other people. Christians must have a principle of love at work in their lives. Uh, The love of God has been shed abroad in their hearts and it can't help but spill out. A true experience of God's love always makes a person more loving in response and especially to the rest of God's people. It is interesting to me. There are some unlovely people. I have no intention of ever inviting Putin to come to my house to sit down and have a meal. He's evil. He's wicked. He is despicable. The general in the country of Myanmar, I cannot pronounce his last name, but the general in the country of Myanmar, he is a wicked, evil person. You know what he needs? He needs Jesus. But that brother or sister in Christ that I'd say, I wouldn't want to hang around them, I wouldn't want to be around them, that's a problem. Because the Bible says we're known by how we love each other. And if you're here today and you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, your proof of salvation is is marred. It is uh, not authentic. Because the Bible says this, He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. John goes on to say, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. The Bible goes on to say, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love who? The brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Let's leave that verse up here for just a moment. The Bible says this in that last sentence. He that loveth not his brother or sister abideth in death. 
Now, let me explain what that word death means. That doesn't mean physical death. It means spiritual death. So he that loveth not his brother is spiritually dead. There are folks who who do not love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, the proof of concept doesn't work. Because if you've been genuinely saved, your life has been changed, the proof of concept is that I love my brother and sister in Christ. Please make, please make note of that last verse. And then next time you have this, these anger feelings towards someone, allow that verse to sink in. It really is a very damning verse when it comes to the test of proof of whether or not I am a Christian. So you have written down two principles, that you strive to do what is right and that you strive to love other people. So now I'm coming to the conclusion of my message. However, my conclusion is really long. (laughs) Some of you thought, all right, wow, that was a fast message. I'm breaking all rules of hermeneutics this morning. I only had two points instead of three. I don't have any subpoints. I had two thoughts, and your conclusion is supposed to just land the plane. My conclusion is like long. <laughs> what do we take with these two points this morning? And I ask you, if you follow these two principles, why do Christians still sin? You say, well, I, I, I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to do right, but you know what? I still do wrong. I still said that bad word this week when my blood pressure went up. I still felt when I was overwhelmed that I had to go smoke a cigarette. I know it's not healthy for me, and I know it's defiling the temple uh, of where the Holy Spirit resides, but I just had to do it. And, and I, I went 10 days without looking at pornography, and then I just got flustered and upset, and I was lonely at night, and, and, I, and I looked at it again. Why do I keep on sinning? I introduce to you the chicken. My friend this morning, and Rogie's going to come and help me. I'm going to make a lighthearted conclusion to my message with a very serious point because I'm hoping that you'll never forget this. And so if you're new to church and this is something new, you said, what is going on here right now? Um, I don't think I've ever had a chicken on the platform in 13 years. So this is new. Rogie, thank you so much for bringing your friend here. And you can, you can hold your friend. Does your friend have a name? Uh, Sunday's Dinner. Sunday's Dinner. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, so you hold your friend there. And, um, and then, and, and then I, I'm, my prayer is that you'll never forget this. I submit to you, why do we struggle with these two thoughts? I strive to do right, but I still do wrong. I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but sometimes I don't like them. I introduced you this chicken. There are two kinds of human nature. There's the Christian nature and there's the chicken nature. And there are, uh, the chicken nature is, is the sin that we're all born with. Um, they're dirty. They're foul smelling. Get, get it? 
they, they, they make a mess out of things. And they are, they're, they're, why we would ever eat chicken, I do not know. But chickens are dirty. I grew up uh, as a boy on a chicken farm and we had chickens and, and I had to go feed the chickens and gather the eggs and clean the eggs. Uh, by the way, those eggs in a chicken coop don't look like that. The ones in the grocery store don't look like that in the chicken coop. We have to clean them. And, uh, and we sold eggs and, and, um, and I had to feed the, the dumb chickens in the morning and I had to feed them at night and they, and they clucked all the time and they were noisy and, and we had this great big chicken barn and, and there were chickens in layers and, and, uh, and I hate chickens. It was cruel and unusual punishment what my parents did. But I learned a few lessons from chickens. The chicken is, uh, a, 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 is a, a bird that is, stinks, makes a mess, runs from you. It's afraid. Um, and if you put that chicken down, it's going to go flopping all over the place. And, and some of the ladies would, would, would just die. I mean, so we'll do that this morning. We have a chicken nature, and at moment of salvation, we have a Christian nature. It's the new person God creates us, and when we're saved, and it's and that Christian nature, it's made to be like God in His likeness. That we're to be more like Jesus. And Ephesians four and verse twenty-four says, "Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another." Right now, reach out and touch someone. Right, just touch someone. We are members one of another. And that's what happens with a Christian nature. Now, I have heard many messages in my entire life that, uh, that, uh, uh, that contradict each other about these, n these two natures and, and how the, on one hand, a preacher will say these two natures constantly battle each other. I've heard other preachers say, listen, your old nature is dead. You no longer have that anymore at salvation. You only have one nature. Um, there's no consensus about that. But because the Bible says this, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are be, have become new. I'm thankful for my new nature, aren't you? That new nature allows me one day to make sure that I get to go to heaven. I'm thankful for it. But I'm also, at my, at my age, understanding from my own personal Bible study, my own experiential knowledge, I know this to be absolutely true. And I lean toward Galatians chapter 5 when it comes to two natures. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I believe I have two natures. I have the chicken nature, and I have the Christian nature. And they are battling against each other. Here is the best way for me to describe that battle that rages within us. Um, these two natures are in, incompatible, and it's impossible both to successfully survive um, at the same time. But the battle's always going on. And here's what I know. Whichever nature I feed is the nature that wins. And if I feed my Christian nature... Striving to do what's right, loving my brothers and sisters in Christ, the chicken nature is put down. 
But if I feed my chicken nature and I feast on the things of the world and the things that I was saved from and I still am enamored with the things of the world, then what I do is I put that Holy Spirit down and I become more like the world. And it actually looks like I'm not a Christian at all. When you get saved and you give your life to Jesus, he cuts off the head of the old chicken nature. Now, I realize that I can't traumatize the men that are here tonight or this morning, so I can't cut off the head of the chicken. But from personal experience, here's what I know. Let me hold your friend here. I can't wait to hold, shake your hand after church this morning, everyone. Here's what I know from being experienced at uh, uh, growing up with chickens, that whenever you cut off the head of the chicken, you throw the head down on the ground, here's what happens. That chicken still continues to fly around. It's the strangest thing. It'll fly all around the, the chicken yard. It'll fly around the yard. And slowly but surely, that chicken will begin to lose its functions, and it will slowly, slowly die. Please understand this. When you were saved, you had a chicken nature. God cut off the head of that chicken. However, the chicken's still flying around. But the more I become like Jesus, the more I become like Christ, that chicken slowly begins to die. Which, which one are you? Is your chicken nature still alive and well? Because you're not saved? Or have you trusted Christ? And yes, there's still the battle going on, but that chicken flying around in your life is a little bit less than it once was. Your life has been spared. I pardon you today. There you go. All right. Let's thank Rogi for helping me out on my, my sermon illustration. We have to be very cautious. It's often people who are soft on sin who are deceived, and their chicken still has its head, and they've never received the Christian nature. And so the question I ask to you this morning, is my sin occasional or habitual? Is, the, is my sin the exception, or is it the rule of my life? 1 John 3 and verse 9 says, we cannot go on sinning because God's seed is in us. And so as a child of God, my chicken nature should be getting smaller because the proof is that I strive to do right and I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. How is it with you this morning? Next week, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will be ineligible to receive the Lord's Supper. And so I want to ask you, are you ready for next Sunday? Is there proof that you are a believer. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to examine our own life. And in doing so, may we acknowledge you.